Welcome to the Just for a Change podcast, powered by the Bertha Center for Social Innovation and Entrepreneurship. First off, what you need to know about us is that thinking differently and innovatively about solving big social issues is what makes us tick. We love offering new perspectives on social innovation and social justice. So we hope you'll be inspired to make a difference wherever you are. We're changing the way, we're changing the world. Welcome to the Just for a Change podcast with me, Linda Daniels, sitting in Kense's seat as your guest host for today's episode. Coming to you from Stellenbosch, I am a Bertha Scholar and I'm reading towards an MPhil in inclusive innovation. I've been a journalist for most of my working life and I've been employed at different times in community and commercial media. My chosen career of journalism was fueled by my own need to productively contribute to society. If you were to ask people of different generations what influence meant or who they dub as influential people over the years, you'd certainly get some varying responses. It would range from, let's say, Alan Johnson Sirleaf, the 24th president of Liberia and the first elected female head of state in Africa, to Casta Semenya, South African track star and Olympic gold medalist, from Wangari Mutamatai, who was a renowned Kenyan social, environmental and political activist and the first African woman to win the Nobel Prize, to South African singer, songwriter and civil rights activist Miriam Makeba. From Mozambican politician and humanitarian Grasa Mashal, to your own mother, grandmother, aunt or teacher to name a few. You see, influence is something you gain over time. Let's look at Miriam Makeba, for example. She was forced to start working as a child after the death of her father. But that wasn't the only hardship she endured. She also survived breast cancer and was forced into exile in the US in 1960 by the apartheid regime, weary of her vocal opposition. I bet neither she nor her community expected her to gain such influence that she would be nicknamed Mama Africa. Her singer-songwriter career later expanded to her starring in an international anti-apartheid film. And she also went on to become a United Nations goodwill ambassador, as well as a civil rights activist. Talk about a woman of influence. So how does one become influential? Well, with this matriarch's life as our springboard, today we'll look at the topic of journey to influence as we hear from some more inspiring women. We'll get a glimpse into how women are changing the way we're changing the world. We decided to ask some ladies from the UCT Graduate School of Business about influence. Here's what they had to say. To be a woman of influence to me is being consistent in using every opportunity and platform to advocate for women, empowerment, and also pave the way for the next generation. For me, being a woman of influence means building spaces in which other women are not required to be strong to prove that they deserve to fully exist. It also means using my power in spaces where I am a woman of influence to empower other women. We have to stand up for ourselves and those who are vulnerable. 
We have to stand up against anti-black and misogyny. Let us be fearless in expressing our discomfort and challenging the status quo. Being a woman of influence is important in the way that a person shows up, the way a person leads, what their signature presence is, and how they make others feel. It is through their actions and their words and their um, impact that they are able to influence others. And my take on this and the way I want to be seen in the world is as a positive influence of other women so that they can be whatever they think that they want to be in the world. And then they can have the power and impact in the most authentic and valuable way to those that they lead and serve. Today we chat to an incredible woman with inspiring stories on the topic of journey to influence. Welcome Dr. Tracy Naledi, a medical doctor, public health physician, and one of the deputy deans in the Faculty of Health Sciences at UCT. Tracy is a 2018-19 Desmond and Leah Tutu Foundation and Discovery Health Foundation PhD candidate. Tracy is also the foundation chairperson for Ticano Atlantic Fellows for Health Equity. Her work has focused on policy development, health system strengthening, addressing health inequity, and strengthening systems for health. Welcome, Dr. Naledi. Good morning, thank you for joining me. What does it mean to be influential? Hi, Linda. Um, thank you so much for, for having me on the podcast. Um, so I guess influential means that you have the ability to convince people. You have the ability to get people to see um, a big picture, to see a vision and to want to be part of that vision. Um, if you're a leader, I guess it means then getting others to follow you and buy into that vision, that big picture, um, and want to be part of it and want to to work with you or to do their bit to make sure that uh, that vision is realized. Would you say that being inspirational is part of being influential? I think so, um, because inspirational. I guess for me means that you are able to inspire people. You are able to, uh, I, I think it goes back to, to what I said earlier around making to paint a picture of a particular vision or paint a picture of a new state of being, paint a picture of uh, something that you would like to see and you can paint it so well that other people can also see it and um, can actually be inspired by it and, and want to be part of it. So, yes, I guess so. And who have been some of the most influential women in your journey? I think the first one I would say is my mother. Uh, my mother grew up in the rural areas in the middle of apartheid and um, grew up with her extended family. Her own mother was a domestic worker. 
and uh, who was a living domestic worker. So used to, and then in those times, my mom is born 1947. As you can imagine what life was like then, her mother literally came home to the rural areas to give birth to her and left her there with her extended family and went, had to go back to work when my mom was still very small. So she was raised by extended family. And, and as you can imagine, not just her brothers and sisters, but her cousins, etc. cetera. Um, and her, grand, her, her grandfather and grandmother that um, raised her um, were uh, church people. So their home was always full of people, the extended family and other community members that came to the family for whatever reason. So she never really was seen as an individual. She was always part of many and being one of the elders was always from a very young age, age looking after people. But she was kind of, because she was a bright woman, she was um, encouraged at school to, to reach for her dreams and ended up um, being quite educated. And, um, and that was purely because of her intelligence. So she used her brains and her God-given talent to reach great heights. And, and my mother, she, she studied all the way up until she retired and, um, has always instilled in me that, um, that desire to be better, that desire to, uh, improve myself, improve my life and improve the lives of my family and my community those that are around me, even though she's retired, she's still working in her community. She's still doing, um, she's still improving herself. And I, I call her the great hustler because my mother never, ever does one thing. She's always doing a myriad of things at, um, at the same time. So she is definitely my number one inspiration. She's definitely a woman of worth and a very strong black African woman um, who has done great things. Can you describe what it is like being a woman of influence in your specific sector or industry? Um, you know, to be quite honest, I don't really see myself like that. I just see myself as a, a woman who is living her life and doing the best that I can do. So it's not like I set out to say I want to be an influencer or I want to be influential. I'm just living my life and doing the best that I can. Um, so I don't really see myself in that way. Um, all I can say is that um, I am inspired by people who really are able to, to live their lives in a way that is fulfilling to themselves and to others and can truly change their communities and can leave a legacy that is meaningful. Um, so I'm inspired by that and, and I live my life in a way that I try and do things that will improve other people's lives and um, will, will, will leave a, kind of a, a legacy that, you know, my footprints on this earth are here. You know, one day when I'm no longer here, I want people to remember that I was here, that I impacted on their lives and I did one or two things that improved um, people's lives. Um, I guess it's a, it's a daily grind. Um, it's something that you never 
quite achieve because the problems of the world are so enormous and uh, there's so much to be done. So I guess for me, it's a daily way of being. It's a daily kind of mantra for me to say, what is it that that I'm going to do today that is going to, to make a difference in my life, in my family's life, in my community's life. So I think it's a, it's a daily, daily kind of agenda for me about what it is, how I am living my life. Tell me, Doctor, about your own journey to influence. How have you been able to use your influence to shift perspectives and nudge at systemic injustices towards women in your industry? So I am a, a medical doctor um, and I am the first within my family, my extended family, to be a doctor. Um, and I think it's so important for people that you look up to, um, to look like you. And I say this because um the reason that I'm a doctor today is because I met somebody who looked like me, who made me believe that it was possible to be a doctor. Um, he wasn't a, a woman, he was a man, but he was the first black man to come into my township in Duduza when I was a young girl. I think I must have been six or eight. I was very young. And um he came into our township and opened up a practice in our township. Before then, we used to go into town, into Nigel town to see a doctor. I'd been to see that doctor many times. Um, and it never once occurred to me that I could be a doctor. And uh, when I met Dr. Siobi, who was a doctor for the first time, I actually, it occurred to me that, oh, I can actually be a doctor. Um, and I carried that dream with me from when I was very young. I admit, I think my parents played a big part in that of indoctrinating me. Every time we had a guest or somebody come visit our family, they would say, oh, tell auntie so-and-so, um, or Akhadi so-and-so, Mawani so-and-so, um, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I would say, oh, I want to be a doctor. And everybody would clap. You know, and it's like, oh, well done, you know. And all my life, I had to repeat that story over and over and over and over and over again, that it became kind of part of my dream. So to be quite honest, I don't know where it was truly my dream or whether it was an indoctrination by, by my family. Be that as it may, I think it's important, firstly, for, for, for people who look like you to... Um, to actually uh, be in the public space for others to see so that they can see themselves being that and, and being even more of that. Um, that's, the, that's the first thing to say. And then the other, I think it's about all of these things don't kind of land on your lap. You've got to do the work. Um, so I have, uh, my brother teases me about the number of years that I've studied um, you know, uh, he, he says to me, I've studied for close on 30 years, you know, because I'm a, I I went to school up until matric, then I went to varsity. And then after that, I specialized and now I'm actually doing my PhD as well. So, um, you know, and I think part of being an influencer also is about 
knowing your stuff, you know. Um, so you need to prepare yourselves with the skills and the competencies that you need to have to to be able to do your work. I'm one who believes that my work needs to speak for itself. I don't want to be the one to blowing my own trumpet about how great I am. Um, I want my work to be the one that does the talking. So it's about you preparing yourself, being competent to be able to do your work. And your competence is more than just your technical competence and whether or not you know the work, whatever. It's about whether you can actually not understand, but actually do the work. And also it's about how you relate to others, which I think as women is one of the things that I think we do better than men in that in the way we lead or in the way we we carry ourselves we carry that um that femininism within us in the way and sometimes we are made to believe that that is not the right way to be that for you to be a great leader you have to be almost be like a man and be hard and you know and you know and i don't believe that that is the correct it not is is the only way to lead let me put it that way and i believe as women leader leaders who are a lot more gentle a lot more collaborative opening spaces for others and not being the one that leads from the front all the time understanding that there is a time to lead from the front but there's also a time to lead from the side and to also lead from the back as well, um, that all of that is also okay. Um, it's also okay um, to, uh, to be a good listener and not be the first one to jump in and want to have all the answers that the answers in all of, in, in all of us. So I think those are some of the, some of the, the things that I would say, if you want to be an influencer, you, you need to prepare yourself. And I think the other thing that I might add is that I surround myself with people that I admire and people that are better than me, with people that um, have achieved great things because they push me to always be better, to always be the best that I can be. And I look up to a lot of my people who are my friends, a lot of them, I, I actually, I, I tease some of them and say, I'm their number one fan, you know, I'm their groupies, you know, some of, some of pe people that I call my friends are actually people that I admired a lot and, and became friends with, um, because, because I admired them. And I think it's important to, to surround yourself with people who inspire you also and push you to be the best that you can be and not make you complacent. It's very easy to feel like, oh, now you've, you've reached your destination. And my view is that you never reach your, reach your destination until the day you die. So you've touched on a bit of your personal journey. What has your personal journey been like? What would you say has been the personal cost to be influential and what burdens of influence should young women who want to be influential be aware of? Yeah, um, I think um, as a woman, um, you know, my, my daughter, one of my, I have, I have two girls, uh, young women, one is 12 and one is 16. And um one somebody once asked me because I've always been a working woman and a mother, and uh, somebody once asked me, Tracy, how do you how do you do it all? And I said jokingly, Oh, I outsource. And my daughter always reminds me of that comment that I made about outsourcing. But I think it's important because you can't do this on your own. You have to have 
people who help you. And when I think about where I was raised, I was raised as uh, in an extended family. Uh, my brother is 10 years younger than me, but I don't ever remember being an only child because I was raised around my aunts and uncles and, and my cousins. So I've always been around um, uh, uh, kind of um, uh, lots of people um, around me. So I've never um, really felt alone. You know, so it's, it's, that, it's that notion that you don't have to do it alone. And I think as women, we sometimes believe that we have to do it all. That's one thing I'm so glad I learned, I learned at a very young age of being a parent. And I think I, I need to credit my mother-in-law with that. You know, she taught me that it's okay for me to kind of say, um, I, I really need to take a break. Can you please look after my daughter for me? So from a very, I was very lucky that as a young mom, um, I lived close to my um, in-laws who um, my mother-in-law and my father-in-law are really awesome. Um, they really supported me as a professional. And I remember when my daughter was about six months old, I had to go to the US for work. My mother-in-law never made me feel guilty. In fact, she made me feel very comfortable about doing that and said, go ahead, I'm right here. I'll look after the baby, go and do what you have to do. She herself, by the way, is an, an incredible woman that inspires me a lot. But I think the first thing is that you don't have to do it alone. And I think the cost of your career progressions could be your family. But I think if you surround yourself with family and where I am right now and the reason why I had made the comment earlier about outsourcing is because I now live in Cape Town and I don't have family around me um, at all. So any help that I get, I literally have to buy it. And so I, I decided a long time ago that I will sacrifice shoes and whatever else, handbags, and I will put my money on support for me to be to have a career. So I had an au pair so that somebody could be able to fetch my children and take them to their extramural activities that I couldn't do because I had a full-time job, um, senior leadership job where I can't really say, oh, by the way, I need an hour away to go fetch my child and take it wherever it is she needs to go and pick, take them home, etc. I mean, with the traffic, that's a, at least a two-hour journey, that one, if you are taking a child for an extramural activity. And you can't, you can't be a leader at the level that work that I was doing to be able to do that. So I was very comfortable and unashamedly bought in help if I needed to. Um, and I think that the other cost could be yourself really losing yourself because... Um, you know, it takes a toll on you to be a leader and to do all of this work. Um, and I think the, the kind of work that I do in particular around um, being a, a kind of initially working for the Department of Health, really about service and also my work within the justice space, social justice space being around um, working for others and doing things for others, the biggest cost you can have is, is yourself where you sacrifice yourself for others and you don't have time for yourself and you don't kind of um, invest in self-care. And for me, that's a particular lesson I learned, you know, actually when I was 40, um, I decided that I am, I am really going to make time for myself. So once a month, I make time for myself where I spend two hours doing 
something something that is just for me that I like that I, I and and I make sure that I I never ever kind of cancel that appointment on myself. It's an appointment with me for me, um, and I made that decision when I was forty that once a month I will do that, um, and I I make sure that I spend time. To, to develop myself. I listen to a lot of kind of self-development podcasts and thing. I always try and grow myself and make sure that I don't leave myself behind and that in my growth, my growth is in all facets of my life, in my spiritual life and not just, you know, my technical world and my competence and things like that. I, I just try and just be on this agenda of not only doing a, stuff for others, but to make sure that I keep myself strong and healthy. And, and I think I can definitely do better in that. It's definitely a, a journey and I'm definitely not there yet, but it's something that I'm very aware of that for me to be able to do the things that I do, I need to look after myself first. And I think it's something that we're not very good at as, as people. And I think as women in particular, that we're not good at that and there's no point in you sacrificing yourself for others and somehow there seems to be honor in that that if you sacrifice yourself it's a good thing and i think you know self-care is is political and i think it's in 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 part of of what i think we deserve it's a it's a right actually it's not the nice to have and i think we struggle to allow ourselves um to allow ourselves that um, and I think, yeah, so I think uh, for me, the, the cost could be your family, but I don't think they have to be. And the cost could be you and, and, and your health. Um, uh, yeah, I think those are the, are the kind of two, two main ones that I'd like to highlight. So if I'm hearing you, Tracy, it's a bit like, you know, pouring from an empty cup and ensuring that your cup is filled before you are able to do what you need to do when it comes to family commitments and career commitments. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Um, If we could just move on to the role of innovation, has that played a significant role in your career? And with that, what do you think women in leadership can do to increase their positive influence in the health sector? Mm. Well, I was uh, very blessed to be introduced to this thing called an Enneagram, which is kind of, a, I suppose, a personality profile. And my, my Enneagram is, is a seven. And so as part of my personality, I tend to be an innovative person, you know. So um, and when I reflect on my career, for example, a lot of the things that I've done have been firsts. A lot of the things that I've done have been innovations. So I think that as far as that is concerned, it's uh, it's part of my DNA. So I am inclined that way. So it is not very difficult um, for me. And, and in fact, I, I, I think that's probably what I'm best at. And um, I have to work a lot harder to be able to do the other parts of my work, which are around making sure that things are implemented and maintained. That is a lot harder for me than to innovate. Um, so, and uh, yeah, so in terms of my career, I have done a lot of innovation 
And personally, I find that exciting. And, and as I said, I, I kind of, my agenda, the way I live my life is around improving people's lives. And if you are going to improve people's lives, I believe that innovation plays a big part um, in that. Um, and, you know, the, the, the one thing, though, about innovating or doing something new is that um, you need to be vulnerable. One of my um, favorite authors is Brene Brown, and she talks about vulnerability. And she talks about the importance of uh, vulnerability in innovation. Because if you are going to innovate, you need to put yourself out there and put yourself out there and put the idea forward. And I mean, for any one idea that is successful, there's probably, I don't know, 20, 30 others that are kind of like shut down, you know. And I also surround myself with people that are different to me that can be able to say to me, okay, now you're crazy. You know, like <laughs> you got to calm down. That is just like even for you. Bit too, bit too wild, you know, because I can get a bit wild in my <laughs> in my kind of ideas. Um, so uh, I think um, it's it's important that you also, even in the workspace, have other people around you that are different to you, because you know if you innovate too much and not implement anything or make sure that it's implemented properly and actually has the impact that it requires, you know. Um, you know, there's no point. So I do believe that innovation is one thing, but you need other bits as well. Innovation is important, but you need people who can also make sure that it's implemented meticulously, people who can make sure that it's monitored, it's evaluated, you know. So there's different bits of you that you require even within an innovation to make sure that it actually lands and is implemented. And also others who have different skills and different um, abilities with you to make to to help you to help you along, but absolutely, I think innovation is is important. And sometimes innovation is not necessarily your idea; it's something that is a collective idea. So you're talking to people, and things emerge, and collectively you come up with a brilliant idea. You know, so I, I, I definitely think it's important, but definitely not the only important thing in the trajectory of ideas and and also making sure that particularly those ideas are more than just ideas they they are impactful and they do make the change that you want them to make i'm interested about the idea of vulnerability and i'm wondering if vulnerability is part of influence and being influential what do you think Absolutely. And, and, and Brene Brown talks about this, you know, um, that, you know, for you, you need to put, you need to raise your voice. I think the thing that um, we fear most is for people to look at us and think that we are stupid or that, you know, our ideas are dumb or whatever it is, you know. And so if you have that fear and you are not willing to make yourself vulnerable and put yourself out there, for to raise your voice and say, hang on, I have this idea. This is what I think. You will kind of then be in, you know, stay in silent and not say. And you need to uh, to be vulnerable and to put yourself out there to say, 
I have an idea. Understanding fully well that other people may not like your idea or may they think that, you know, your idea is dumb or whatever and not giving up and kind of saying, okay, I've got a whole bag of ideas. What about this one? <laughs> Until you get it right and to, to understand that not all your ideas will land, will be welcomed, or the timing for them will be right. You might have an idea now um, that will will fall flat, but five years from now, you see somebody actually implementing your, your idea, maybe because the time is right. So I absolutely believe that vulnerability is important. For If you want to have a voice, you have to be vulnerable. I think people often think that people who have a voice are these strong people who are not afraid of anything, you know, so one of my taglines, I think it's on my WhatsApp profile, it says, feel the fear and do it anyway, because it's not like you are not afraid. You are afraid, but your need to have to share your ideas and your views and your thoughts trumps your fear. So, you know, you, you allow yourself to be vulnerable and, 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 and put your ideas out there and put yourself. And I think that's the thing about vulnerability is that your ideas are part of you. So you are putting yourself on the line to be ridiculed, you know, but the, the, it could go 50-50. You could be ridiculed or it could be an idea that lands and that that is is, li- is liked by many that can be implemented. I'm also interested around the idea of the big narrative that is associated with influence, that it is something big, that it is something hugely impactful. And I'd love to hear more from you about the other ways of influence that are impactful. So one of the things that I absolutely love is is mentoring or supporting young people, particularly young women. And I think that is something that often is done in private on a one-to-one basis. And, and sometimes you don't even realize what it is that you, you know, like a project is easy to, to, to say, you know, we did this project, it saved so many lives or whatever it is. But when you, when you kind of work with people and you build relationships with people, it's a slow process where, you know, you could spend an hour chatting and you're not even, I, I, and this happens to me so many times. I'll have people that I meet and I'll be chatting to them about what I don't believe is anything of significance or whatever. And they'll meet me some way down the line of life. And they'll say to me, Tracy, you remember on such and such a day, half the time, I don't even remember that you, and you said this and this and this, it was so impactful for me. It influenced me so much. It shifted my ideas and, and my thoughts. And sometimes it's not even people you've met. It's people, maybe this notion that I started with, that is so important to have people who look like you, that you can identify with, um, that you, because then you are able to, to see yourself in them and you're able to learn from them. Not that we only learn from those that look like us, but I think it's, it's a bit easier than, okay, if she can do it, I'm sure I can do it as well. So I, I think for me, at it, the, 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 the influence that you're talking about, Linda, is on the personal. And I find that it, that is on the on 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 the personal, on people's lives, on on things that are not in big lights and 
big letters. Um, it's in the kind of the daily living, um, uh, uh, you know, in, 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 in the way people live their lives. And I, I find that also incredibly fulfilling as well. And then you, you've touched on it a bit in terms of the challenges when kind of living a life of influence or trying to be influential, what would you say to women, young and old, who desire to live a life of influence, but they feel like they are hitting walls or obstacles on all sides, be it career, family, entrepreneurial ventures and the like? What are your thoughts on that? Um, my thoughts are that, firstly, you need to back yourself. Um I think that uh, sometimes we wait for other people to back us. I think that the first, the first big hurdle um, is to believe in our own power and our own light to kind of say, you know what, I think I am worthy and I think that I can do this, you know. Um, but also recognizing that your your ability to to even get there to say I can back myself is influenced a lot I think by by the way that you were raised and like the family you come from and as I, as, as I said earlier I'm very lucky that I come from a family that supported me a lot and um and my father in particular was a, a man that that validated me as a young woman from a very early age. My father made me believe that my voice was worthy and that, you know, so he would listen to me the crazier. He would listen to me like he had nowhere else to be. I was saying the most important things in the world that there was no person in the world that was as important at that moment when he listened to me. So he made me believe that my voice was worthy and I had a right to have a voice. So I'm very lucky in that, in that I came into adulthood already believing that. And I think some women in particular, and because of patriarchy and the way we are raised as women, they, they have to start with that hurdle of, of unlearning and unbelieving things that they've been made to believe about themselves, that they are not worthy, that their voice is not worthy to be heard, that their ideas are not important. And that can be a hard internal battle. And I, I, I do not minimize the battle that they have to kind of fight to get to that place of themselves believing that I am worthy and my voice is worthy and my ideas are worthy at least of being heard. I'm not saying that they're worthy of being kind of, kind of believed or whatever, but they're at least worthy of being um, um, uh, heard and, and discussed. And the other, I think, is to surround yourself with people that see your light, people that have your interest at heart and people that want you to succeed. Thank you so much, Dr. Naledi, for joining in the conversation this morning. You've given me lots of food for thought. Um, thank you for being an inspiration. You have definitely positively influenced me. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much, Linda. It's been a great conversation this morning. Hi, I'm Sumniki Weklanga, and I am the Program Assistant for Youth Development 
at the Bertha Center. It's so exciting zooming in on one of our very own influential Bertha team women for this episode's good news segment. Today, we're chatting to Solange Rosa, the new director of the Bertha Center. Solange is an innovative public policy professional skilled in strategy development, policy analysis, government, and integrated sustainable development. She also has a doctorate in law from University of Stellenbosch. Hi, Solange. So exciting to be talking to you today. Um, would you say influence is something some people are born with and why? I think that influence is a practice. I don't think that you're necessarily born with it. It's something that you, as you say, gather as you go along through life. And I think it requires you to be um, constantly learning, constantly improving yourself, being humble about what you know and what you don't know, and then being able to follow up your your words with action. So maintaining a sense of integrity um, around what you speak about um, and and what you do. And I think that, that that is an ongoing practice that you, you build on. And so um, as you gather uh, momentum and learnings and knowledge, um, you're able to influence people more um, because you're able to articulate uh, issues more deeply um, and you're able to follow through on those to, to get people, I think, to to agree with you or to follow what you say, there really does need to be some synchronicity between your words and actions. Um, that integrity is very important. Thank you, Solange. I really value what you mentioned around learning as you go, because that's something that um, I also look forward to in spaces. And at the Bertha Center, it's something that you get to experience on a daily basis. So having said that, you are an influential woman, and we cannot disagree with that. In many spheres, you are an influential woman. Could you tell us about your career journey and your own journey to influence? Uh, thank you. Um, yeah, I think that it's good to hear that I am influential. I guess I don't think of myself like that. Um, but to talk about my, my career journey, um, Sure. So many years ago, I've been on this journey for a long time. Um, I started off uh, really uh, working at the Center for Applied Legal Studies many, many, many years ago um, as a legal researcher um, working on media freedom. So my my career journey started really working in the space of human rights um, law. And I went overseas for a few years and, um, and worked for Oxfam um, International as advocacy, a head of advocacy um, in a place called East Timor in Indonesia, working on human rights in East Timor. Um, and, and then I also worked in Mozambique um, for a short while on the international campaign to ban landmines. So I did a bit of an international stint uh, working in, in the human rights sector. Um, I then came back to South Africa um, in early 2000 and started working at the Children's Institute at the University of Cape Town. Um, so I've come full circle in a sense, um, come back to the university and I was there as a legal researcher looking at uh, children's rights in the context of poverty, in particular socioeconomic rights. 
Um, and that is really my, my passion is to understand what are the key socioeconomic challenges um, in the context of poverty and inequality and how can um, we use a human rights lens to address um, those challenges? So, you know, we have a very strong constitution with a strong Bill of Rights that is well known around the world. And so that's what frames and underpins the values um, that I believe in strongly. Um, so after I, I worked at the Children's Institute, I then went into government for 10 years. So I spent 10 years as head of um, policy and strategy in the Department of the Premier in the Western Cape government. And that really gave me such important insights into how government works and how how socioeconomic rights are delivered, really. So how they are implemented, what are the challenges, what are the ways in which you can uh, make different choices, policy choices, and implement differently. Um, so I really had a, a, a big focus on policy innovation and worked with the Bertha Center at the time as well through my stint. Um, so came to know and love the Bertha Center through my work um, in government um, on policy innovation, public sector innovation. Um, and then and then I left government in about 2015 and con started consulting on my own um, and with some colleagues. And I was doing policy and strategy consulting with national government, um, a bit with provincial government, and then with philanthropy and non-government organizations. Um, and the Bertha Center was uh, one of my um, closest clients. So it's really exciting to be a part of the Bertha Center in a, you know, in a more um, uh, embedded way. And I, I feel very passionate, as I said, about addressing socioeconomic challenges in South Africa and more broadly, and the way that we can think innovatively um, in trying to address those challenges. So I look forward to the next um, five years at least of, you know, working with the team and with partners out there, whether they be government or business or um, the nonprofit sector to, to together um, harness different ideas for, for how we can solve the challenges of poverty and inequality in, in South Africa. Looking to the future, what are some of the things that you would like to influence given your current position at the Bertha Center? Uh, I think that I would like to be able to build a um, strong team. Um, we already have a very strong team at the Bertha Center, um, but I'd like to solidify it and bring uh, more diversity in and I think um, have a, a cohesive um, team with lots of energy and, and innovative spirit. Um, that's on an internal level. And then I think externally, I would like to be able to influence um, policy. So I'm very punished, pa passionate about public policy. Um, and I think that there are key issues at the moment and arisen through COVID, but also pre-existing um, challenges like the high levels of poverty um, and the lack of income for many unemployed people. Um, and so I think for example, um, a basic income grant is something I would like to put um, my energy behind and help to influence uh, government to be able to put a policy like that in place to support 
unemployed people who have no access to um, to government grants or to any kind of safety net between the ages of 18 and 60. And, um, and then continue to support uh, young people and youth development. Um, our policy initiatives in this area uh, really have um, a lot of room for innovation and a lot of room to grow. And we have a lot of challenges around high rates of young uh, people being unemployed as well as dropping out of school. So I would like to be able to build on what the Bertha Center um, has researched, has written about, has acted upon, and use that to influence public policy and um, programming out there um, at scale to support solutions to problems in, um, in South Africa uh, around poverty and inequality more broadly. Thank you so much um, for what you've shared with us today. As we've discovered through these women's stories today, I think it's safe to say that influence is more of a journey than a destination. Women of influence are weaved all throughout our society. Oftentimes, they're neither the ones in the spotlight nor the ones boasting a massive following. They are, however, the ones who've dealt with many challenges and trials and came out stronger and more influential on the other side. They are the ones who manage to affect changes in thinking patterns and behavior simply by setting an example in the way they live their own lives. Thank you for tuning in to Just For A Change, powered by the Bertha Center for Social Innovation and Entrepreneurship, the podcast where we offer new perspectives on social innovation and social justice. If you're curious about solving social issues in your community or believe we can make a positive, tangible difference in the world, then make sure you subscribe so that you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes. Also, remember to have a look at the show notes if you're interested in finding out more about the Bertha Center for Social Innovation and Entrepreneurship.